minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Check.
is a mountain we must climb We don't have forever Just the time He gives us Get to the top if you can This is the challenge of man Yes, you might fall and tumble down Sometimes that happens when you dare Knowing you, my child You'll pick yourself up Start again from there Keep climbing Don't let nothing stand in your way Keep believing Pay no attention to what they say
J.M. and the A.M. Boy, it has been a while since we've done this almost one complete hour of uh, great music uh, completely uninterrupted. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, Shwebo Sharf and Levine with Curry Bone. You heard Avremo and Keep Climbing. David Gabez Avinu shall shell us with Ashrei Ish. Yaakov Shweki of the live in Nokia double CD from Israel, Reubanim. Yitzchak Fuchs and Menucha Vesimcha. Baruch Levine, Ma'ashiv, and Yeshiva Boys Choir with Ma'ashiv. Why? Because Rosh Chodesh begins tonight. Why not words from Halil? Aisha Schail from Regesh from their volume three. And of course, Regesh and Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this June 7th, day 29 in the month of Sivan. Hey, yesterday was D-Day, right? Wasn't June 6th D-Day? I think so. Uh, 29th of Sivan with the year 5773, Tuf and Gimel. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach. Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh. Tammuz will start tonight. We'll say Yalav Yavo at Mariv. We'll continue tomorrow, Shabbos and Sunday. So it's a two-day Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, Shabbos and Sunday, with candle lighting time at 8.06 on this era of Shabbos. 8.06. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We've got 61 degrees, 96% humidity, winds are east at 9 miles an hour. Heavy rain today with a high temperature of 64. More rain for tonight, low 62. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, high temperature 75 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 84, Tel Aviv, Haifa at 81, a lot at 100 degrees. We're at uh, 61 here in Jersey City on a Friday at JM in the AM. Well, lots going on. I want to thank uh, everybody who uh, made our jmnm.org Thursday an amazing one. We had some great, great programming all through the day yesterday, and uh, I was somewhat uh, out of it uh, due to a prior commitment. So I thank Avrami for sitting in during the live lunch and during the Thursday night extravaganza last evening. I uh, thank him. Very much. Uh, today on jmtheam.org, Naomi Nachman is going to be presenting Table for Two. That is a program that follows JM and the AM every single Friday morning uh, between 9 and 10 o'clock. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two, and she has today a list of food people like you can't imagine. The show is presented by Gourmet Glot of Cedarhurst, New York, with guests including... Mordechai Strick, a competitor in this week's Long Island Kosher Barbecue Competition. Yitzi Katz, developer of the Kosher GPS app. And Danny Klein, founder of Yeah, That's Kosher. Naomi Nachman has all of them on table for two today between 9 and 10 Eastern Time on the stream. org. Starting at 10 a.m. all the way until candle lighting. Over 10 straight hours of amazing Erev Shabbos music selections, and we do it like nobody else. Uh, we have been told this now by many people recently, how our Friday afternoon stream is the way, the best way, the only way to prepare for Shabbos, get the Cholent going. Uh, so make sure you're tuned in. Of course, tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami, starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Sunday morning, J.M. Sunday Matis Weingast does that show live. Could you imagine? It's a live show every Sunday morning. Make sure to be tuned in between 7 and 9 for JM Sunday. It all happens on the stream at jmandtheam.org. If you don't have our Android app or our iPhone app, you got to get to our uh, to our website and uh, install those immediately. 
And oh, I want to wish a Mazel Tov. I want to wish a Mazel Tov to the extended uh, Chayfetz and Siegel families. Dina and Rabbi Yamin Chayfetz uh, yesterday celebrated the bris of their brand new baby boy. Menachem is his name. Menachem is my uh, great nephew. And we say Mazal Tov to the Chayfetz and Siegel families. If you see any members of the uh, Chayfetz and Siegel families, you make sure to wish them a very special Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. You may uh, see some of the members of the Siegel family if you head to the new Springville Jewish Center on Staten Island this Sunday for their big Hachnasa Sefer Torah. Their big Torah celebration is Sunday. And a Mazal Tov going out not only to uh, uh, the synagogue, but uh, specifically uh, to the uh, Fishbaum family, Lenny Fishbaum and family, who again have made this amazing donation to the New Springville Jewish Center, and it will be, no doubt, a massive and wonderful celebration this coming Sunday in Staten Island, New York. So get ready for that. I'm sure it'll be extremely enjoyable and very celebratory. Um, JM in the AM in a minute before 7 o'clock on this Friday. News from Israel is coming up next. We Oh, do we have our news from Israel? Yep, looks like we got our news from Israel. Coming up at 7.40 this morning, Malcolm Honline, we call it the weekly update. Malcolm Honline will join us to discuss the uh, events of this week. A lot of events this week to talk about, I'll tell you that much. We'll discuss them with us at 7.40 this morning here at JM and the Amber by Uden coming up at 8.15 with the Torah portion of the week. We will wrap up the week at 9 a.m. this morning and get started with amazing stuff on our stream Right after that at jmtheam.org. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Golly Tzal in the background. We've a little bit of a choppy uh, connection to Golly Tzal. Hopefully we'll be able to hold through with our entire newscast. Let's hope. Although who knows what the news is. Maybe we don't want to hold through the entire newscast. Golly Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Plenty more happening. Golly Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast. Next, Boker Toe from JM. Golly Tzal, Hashash Time. Kanehut Graf in Mashikoraya Shav. עשרות אלפים משתתפים כעת במצעד הגאווה בתל אביב, שנערך בצל פענוח הרצח בבר נוער, ומעצרו של פעיל בולט בקהילה הגאה במסגרת חקירת הפרשה. פוליטיקאים רבים ממפלגות שונות הגיעו להזדהות עם חברי הקהילה הגאה, ובהם ציפי לבני, לימור לבנת, שלי יחימוביץ' ושר האוצר יאיר לפיד, שהתקבל בקריאות בוז. בעקבות המצעד ישנם שיבושי תנועה ברחבי תל אביב. רחובות מרכזיים סגורים לסירוגין ובהם המלך ג'ורג', ארלוזורוב, בוגרשוב וצ'רניחובסקי. 
המופתי של סעודיה נגד חיזבאללה, מדווח כתבנו רון כלף. המופתי הגדול של סעודיה, עבד אל-עזיז א-שייח' חליד, מצטרף לקריאות בעולם הערבי נגד חיזבאללה, ומשבח את עמידתו של שייח' יוסף אל-קרדאווי ממצרים, ממנהיגי הזרם הסוני באסלאם, נגד ארגון הטרור הלבנוני ובעלת בריתו איראן. בנאום בדוחה השבוע קרא קרדאווי לג'יהאד כנגד חיזבאללה ומשטרו של בשאר אל-אסד. בבית החולים וולפסון מת התינוק שאיבד את הכרתו ואת ברית המילה לפני שבוע. כתבתנו עמית תומר. בשבוע האחרון נעשו ניסיונות להציל את התינוק שהגיע לבית החולים וולפסון בחולון במצב אנוש של כמעט מוות מוחי, אבל הבוקר נאלצו הרופאים לקבוע את מותו. הסיבות לסיבוך שהתרחש זמן קצר אחרי ברית המילה של התינוק ולמותו עדיין אינן ברורות. במסחר במטבע חוץ, הדולר נחלש היום בחצי אחוז, ושערו היציג נקבע על שלושה שקלים, שישים ושתיים אגורות ותשע עשיריות האגורה. כתבתנו יונה לייבזון מוסרת שמנגד, האירו התחזק בארבע עשיריות האחוז, ומחירו ארבעה שקלים, שמונים אגורות ושלוש עשיריות האגורה. מזג האוויר היום נוח יחסית, מחר התחממות ניכרת. אלה החדשות שעורך אילי לוין. Oh, my God. 
که
than a Neshama program which concentrates on the amazing music and great selections of the one and only Ben Sion Schenker. Unbelievable. That is one way to uh, celebrate an Erev Shabbos and Erev Rosh Chodesh with the great Ben Sion Schenker off of the Mudgets CD. JM in the AM. Good morning all. Thanks for joining us on this Friday. It is uh, the 7th of June, the 29th of Sivan, Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach. Also, Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, a two-day Rosh Chodesh, begins tonight. You'll have a uh, Shabbos and Sunday Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. Candle lighting at 8.06 on this Erev Shabbos, 8.06. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We'll get back into the music. Malcolm Holmline will join us for the weekly update. Lots of sensitive topics out there. We'll try to get to them this morning here at JM in the AM. Or by Uden, of course, at 8.15. 9 a.m. for Naomi Nachman and Table for Two um, on the stream at jmnam.org. And, oh, I want to wish a Mazel Tov, a Mazel Tov, a Mazel Tov going out to Ginot Shomron. A Mazel Tov going out to Ginot Shomron. Inbar and Ellie Kramer are the brand new Chatan and Kala. Mazel Tov to them. Inbar and Ellie Kramer. 
Mazal Tov and a special Mazal Tov to uh, Tammy and David Kramer from all of us here at JM and the AM. I hear there's a wonderful Sheva Brachos Shabbos or Shabbat Sheva Brachot or whatever <laughs> uh, planned for this Shabbat in Ginot Shomron. So we say Mazal Tov. Enjoy it, everybody, from all of us here at JM in the AM. We'll get back into the music. Plenty more coming up. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
nothing like a Lachado D from Except Saturday here at JM in the AM. Before that, we did some Katz's. Uh, Shal- oh, no, first Shalshelis was uh, Lachado D. Then before that, we did Shlomo Katz and Kavodo and Eitan Katz and Lachado D here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parsha's Korach Rosh Chodesh begins tonight at two-day Rosh Chodesh with candle lighting at 8.06 on this Erev Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Weekly update in just a second. Rare occasion. I had to discuss something with Malcolm before the weekly update. Very rare occasion. We normally never speak about any issues before the weekly update. But I just had to uh, had to give him some advanced warning on this one. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com continuing to highly recommend to their readers that they uh, tune in all through the morning and day to jmandam.org and uh, enjoy our phenomenal programming. Um, check out jewishworldview.com. They have, uh, God knows how many hundreds and thousands of articles with commentary and news about what's going on in this amazing world of ours. And we thank them for their incredible support. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for a uh, weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. After that advance warning, I'm not so sure. <laughs> so, Well, I told you this is the week that you'll regret having done the weekly update, but let's see if that happens. Week, okay. What does it say again? <laughs> this is the <laughs> week, right. I hope you were able, I hope you were able, to uh, enjoy for at least a few minutes this past Sunday what I thought was, and again, we know it's a lot, you know, a lot of it is weather related, which is understandable. Uh, what I thought was a tremendous outpouring of support for Israel. You know, we question every year, or at least many do, both in the press and the privately. The parade, worth it? Is it a good demonstration of support? Is it, you know, same thing every year? Do, this year I got the feeling that, yes, it was a good idea to get on Fifth Avenue and celebrate. I hope you had the same feeling. I think it was amazing for the young people, who, especially the children who get to march. This was originally a children's march, but you saw many more adults getting into it. Right. And I think uh, the people on the streets where I was were enthusiastic. And the, the message that comes from these events, uh, the parade and many, and others, where, where you can show the unity of people, where you see about diversity of participation from all over the United States and, or certainly Northeast. Uh, I think it's a very important message and one that's essential, is, is especially necessary when we see the assaults that are going on on Israel when, when, not talking domestic right now, we're talking in the international where, where even the effort, which we've talked about for weeks to get the recognition of Hezbollah as a terrorist organization for all the murder of Israelis and others around the world, and now the EU is backing off and even uh, Bulgaria, which has a new government, is no longer saying that for sure Hezbollah was responsible for the outrage there. So not even that small fundamental act, yet Finland, Ireland, Austria already opposing the French, British, and Germans who were leading the charge in some, some of these European countries, Romania, uh, Poland, Hungary, uh, uh, Czechoslovakia, uh, who, who did support it. Mm. So it, it's an important time. You know, we take for granted the support that exists in the United States, and it's very remarkable. 
But the worst mistake you can make is to take it for granted. And we know it must have been a big celebration Sunday and an effective one because with uh, hundreds of thousands of people and all the activity and the phenomenal display of support for Israel, not one mention in the general media. That that in itself tells you it was a peaceful and wonderful day <laughs> because they will only point out, of course, the negative things and if, God forbid, something would go wrong. Um, so a couple of things uh, uh, before we continue on this very topic of uh, outward support and and a, a demonstrative uh, acts in our community. Uh, first of all, there were some people who were surprised that you, who have uh, uh, generally uh, concentrated on the national and uh, international aspects of our community, you actually appeared at a mayor's forum this week and addressed the crowd. Now, last week you started to hint to us that you think that, the, based on one of the questions I asked, that you think that this mayor's race in New York is going to be a key one uh, when it comes to our community and New York in general. Is the fact that you are actually appearing at events like that, um, in fact, the solidifying that opinion that you're taking this race very seriously? Well, I take every election seriously because people, even if uh, there may not be a stark choice, as you have this year with uh, such a variety of candidates, uh, what happens in New York impacts the Jews who live here, but also has a broader impact. Mm -hmm. And here, the needs of our communities are so great that if you don't have somebody who's sympathetic, if you don't have somebody who understands and shifts the focus, not just from Manhattan, but looks at the outer boroughs, and... Uh, again, I, I, well, I headed the JCRC for 10 years, but uh, now have not done and do not deal in, in domestic and local affairs. But as a resident of Flatbush, which shocked many people, <laughs> didn't know, uh, and they asked me to just to give some general comments. I did not, uh, Avi Schick did an amazing job uh, moderating it, and Josh Mailman and others who, who put it together. It was a committee on very short notice, and they had all the candidates there. I, I thought it was a very useful uh, exchange and opportunity, and uh, people showed up, not enough, which shows that still people don't, you know, e- even if it means just walking a couple blocks, uh, you know, still don't make the effort. Mm. But, uh, you know, I live here, and my children live here, my grandchildren live in this community, some of them, that I have a responsibility as well. So I came as a citizen, not as the director of the President's Conference or anything else. Understood, and I would assume that you uh, emphasize the importance of registering to vote, and maybe... We're may- doing a voter registration drive, and I hope everybody else who's listening will do it in their communities, in their schools, in their schools. There's nothing more fundamental. There's no commitment more important than, than at least starting with registering young people to vote and educating them about why it's important. Yeah. And you don't get called for jury duty, and you're not going to get drafted, and you know, IRS is not, well, I shouldn't say that. Who knows what the IRS <laughs> does these days, but... Ah, <laughs> uh, come on, these young graduates aren't making enough Your for the IRS. Your telephones may be checked, but they're being checked anyway, so... The young graduates aren't making enough for the IRS to bother them anyway, come on. You know how it is these days. It's tough out there. <laughs> so you must have reminisced a bit this week about your encounters with the Senator Lautenberg of blessed memory. I certainly did, and he, he uh, was remarkable in his first uh, turn. You know, he came back a uh, second time. He had retired, and then he came back in 2002. Uh, he was responsible for what we call the Lautenberg Amendment, which enabled Russian Jews and other Jews who were in danger, others as well, but it, it helped redefine the uh, emergency refugee status, uh, which turned out to be extremely important. He was a fighter for Soviet Jewry, uh, and certainly a strong supporter of Israel. Long before he had a political career, he was a leader in the Jewish community. Right. 
Why do you think, Malcolm, and, and this is, you know, I guess for a longer discussion, but I'm, why do you think that uh, someone like him, you know, in the business world and an influential person in the business world adjusted so well to a position like the U.S. Senate while we see others who try to do the same from that background really not do very well? Uh, that's a very good question, and, and it's a... Uh... Uh, first of all, I think he was very intelligent, and he did not inherit a business. He built ADP. Mm. He uh, was a very sophisticated uh, gentleman and, and earned uh, respect amongst his uh, colleagues. He's, uh, uh, so the adjustment is really where somebody can sublimate themselves and, and not just go in there with gangbusters and both guns uh, shooting. Like in anything else, you build your your reputation, your credibility, you work hard, you don't you know, always compete and feel that you have to be the one out front, which is unfortunately for many political leaders very difficult. Have people in general in in the world we see it constantly where where there are those who who need to control. We look now at what's going on. You see the reaction to Erdogan in Turkey, right. and you see it's a guy was riding high, and he just went too far in trying to Im- impose his agenda. We know what his agenda is. We don't like it, but. He went too far, and now in 40 cities, demonstrations, and guy, you know, all of a sudden out of a, a small development project? No, because the guy was so arrogant that he was taking away the green space, working with the, the uh, I won't say that he was paid, because I don't know, but those, those allegations are made that there's a lot of corruption. And uh, the reaction, and, it, and, and it's true in every realm of life. Yeah, good points. Keeping a level head is not easy when it comes to... Uh and power, especially right. power, power is is so intoxicating, and you know, but but people don't understand that you have to build power. Power is not something you inherit. It's not something, you know. When it, they say when a king dies, his power ends. When a navi dies, his influence only begins. Mm. So influence and power are two different things. No question about it. I'm glad I asked. That's a great analysis. Uh, a, a painful topic and one that unfortunately is dominating certain headlines and I think will continue to dominate because of the, because uh, frankly, I hate to say it this way, because it's almost Rosh Chodesh. Uh, we anticipate activity and um and conflict at the Kotel Amaravi at the Western Wall this coming Sunday. Uh, anybody who's uh, uh, tuned into current events knows what I refer to, and uh, th- th- it is just such a painful thing to watch. And uh, I think that folks around the world who are uh, not of the Jewish faith and who are, and, and certainly not as involved as, as some of us might be, find it. Very hard to believe uh, that that is a place where a conflict like that, and and God forbid, might be even worse, could take place. In addition to that, as we know, uh, there are folks who uh, feel the need uh, not to uh, simply show a gathering or a rally of support or solidarity with certain sides or certain people who are... um, uh, and now uh, finding themselves in what they call difficult situations in the state of Israel, but uh, taking to the streets with really uh, difficult terms being used, uh, what seems to be more of rallies and protests as opposed to uh, gatherings of prayer and more peaceful demonstrations, etc., etc. Uh, I, I know we've spoken about this a million times, but it's got to make you cringe. You have to. Don't you wish you could communicate to many people out there that there's a proper way to go about all these things? I think we do that every week. Try to communicate that it's not the question of the right to express views or even to be critical of Israel, but you got to think about how you do it. 
uh, and the and as I said, there's a lack of humility in our community generally, uh, without thinking of where we are and what the message is. How what damage do we do? There's no tshuva for talking Russian hard against Eretz Israel. There's no way you can undo the damage that is done. And and again, I think there are legitimate issues and legitimate gripes and, and things that can people can give expression to it. But it has to be done in the right way. And the the uh, kind of displays that we often see on either side of the issues is is uh, terrible. And I think those people have to be held to account. Those who instigate and those who 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 you know whether in Israel or here who who engage in outrageous behavior. The you know I just saw an analysis about the people who did the price tag things about how much damage what they forced that the Arabs didn't force in all the years by, by their attacks and and how it impacts public opinion around the world because they attacked mosques or churches or whatever. And 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 it demeans the legitimacy of the issues because you, you draw the line in the sand and then you go extreme so you alienate more and more of the supporters or potential supporters or people who are sympathetic to, to, to the issue. And I want messages to go. I think people shouldn't... Uh, express themselves to the government of Israel, to people in Israel. First of all, do it in Israel. Second of all, you have to do it in ways that that uh, uh, people don't look at this issue. And uh, I, I, there were other sensitive issues uh, that have been discussed even during the mayoral forum, one of them, one of the recent controversies. And to see, you know, people using the Hebrew terminology, etc., it may be cute, but it it, it should be something that causes people to reflect. No question about it. I fear the. I, I fear what uh, we may see in the media after this weekend with everything that we might be expecting in Jerusalem and other places. You know, the, the, as you said, the tens of thousands, hundred thousand may have been on Fifth Avenue in a pro-Israel uh, message and yep. it's limited coverage. You can be sure when you have an anti-Israel message, it's going to get covered. Especially for when it's uh, from within. And I, I, I just don't understand the the legitimacy of using terms that have been reserved over the last centuries for the most virulent, uh, virulent anti-Semites and using terms like that to describe fellow Jews. It's it's just uh, inexcusable. Look at some of the signs and some of the things. It's, it, and there was a group even at the parade who were at all these events. And it, it, I can tell you that if people stop, they ask about it, and they, it sows confusion. They don't know what it really means. And, what, and these people who certainly look Jewish, right. we tell them they're Amish. And that's <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work always, huh? Um, folks, uh, especially if you see Malcolm over the next couple of days, uh, don't take his words out of context. Um, when you speak with him now with reaction to what we just discussed, make sure it's within context and make sure you understand exactly uh, the point that he made this morning on this issue. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio uh, program heard on listener-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9. On the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Weekly update podcast information. If you go to jmnam.org on our homepage in the news section, you have information there about how to receive in your iTunes the weekly update podcast straight from us each and every week. I see you had an enthusiastic reaction to the election of Robert G. Sugarman as chair of the Conference of Presidents. Well, I have to work with him for the next few years, so... (laughs) 
German enthusiast. <laughs> he's uh, he's a, a, a really terrific person, a real mensch, a leader. He was chairman of the ADL. He's had many involvements. He's a member of uh, the KJ, Kilat Yeshua and Rabbi Wuxin's community. He's, um, he's a lawyer, was partner in a major firm, uh, but has really devoted a great deal of time. And he is the guy who, since his retirement, official retirement, on a pro bono basis, has been representing the Eruven cases. Oh, wow. And uh, he's been a lawyer devoting uh, countless hours to trying to defend uh, the cases where people are putting up uh, West Hampton, other places, right. putting up uh, Eruven. Kalakavod, Robert Sugarman, good luck in your new position. And uh, Malcolm, as you said, you're uh, praiseworthy of anybody you have to work with. So, uh, <laughs> or enthu- I, no, I'm sorry, not, not praiseworthy, enthusiastic, you said. So good luck. I'm sure it'll be great. Um, so did Israel uh, approve or not approve the document that revealed details of a missile site in Israel this week, one that the United States is being blamed for revealing? Well, there is anger in Israel about the, the revelation, and it's it's because they think that the enemies of Israel might be able to take advantage of it. The question whether it was deliberate, was it uh, an intentional uh, leak of that information, or was it just uh, haphazard? But and you see that that things happen, and uh, we've had a slew of, e- of evidence of things that happen sometimes out of malevolent intent, sometimes out of negligence, and sometimes uh, it's just a slip up. So we don't know. It's it's hard to say, but it, it caused a lot of sensitivity. Do, does Israel know the missile sites of its enemies? Is Israel's intelligence, satellites, etc., good enough that they know where all the missile sites that could be aimed at them, God forbid, are? You remember when Israel went into Syria and was able to take out on a pinpoint uh, exact location uh, by air missiles that were going to be transferred? So I think you can safely assume that uh, both the drone technology and satellite photography uh, is very effective. And and one would have to assume from this week's news that the enemies of Israel do not know the location of all of Israel's uh, missile sites. Well, the presence of uh, Iron Dome and, and Patriot missiles are, are clear. It's not hard to, to find it. And unfortunately, you have spies you know, who infiltrate into Israel or sometimes have the cells inside Israel who have helped it with somebody uh, just arrested recently for having helped Hezbollah during the uh, the war in Lebanon to pinpoint and tell them where their missiles, uh, their attacks against Israel were falling. Uh, so uh, they do not know the location of all of Israel's facilities. Israel obviously needs to protect it. It's a small country. It's hard to hide things there, but, uh, but they do. Yeah, pretty amazing, I'll tell you. You'd think at this, at this point, with uh, intelligence the way it is in this world, satellites, etc., that there'd be no more secrets, but I guess we found out this week that Israel's still able to keep a secret. Um, you also have submarines uh, going around the world. You have other things that uh, aren't necessarily visible. Yeah, anything else you want to tell us while we're on this nope. topic? <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> it's a shame we're not sitting down to a meal. I'd be able to get you to say a few other things, maybe. Uh, that's interesting, and people got to keep that in mind in terms of the sophistication on the Israeli side. So are there or are there not refugees from Syria who are trying to get into Israel and, uh, and uh, take safety there? There are. It is not massive numbers. There are numbers who are coming to be treated at the Israeli field hospital, uh, but 
there aren't, but there is an anticipation that there could be an increase. We had cases, some of the Druze and others who who were living near the Golan who wanted to cross over. Now, uh, as you know, this week that area heated up a lot. There was fighting in Kunetra, which you can see from the Golan, where Israel withdrew from uh, the city of Kunetra. And it's between rebels and the, the Syrian army, and the Israelis on their side of the border could see often the fighting, would see the, hear the explosions uh, along the border. So Israel for Israel, this becomes a, uh, a greater and greater uh, concern, and especially now when Russia says they're going to sell the MiG-29, let alone the S-300, which they did not deliver, uh, as Assad said, the Russians, I think, will, will delay it. But they are selling them other things, and they say this is an old contract, U.S. warned Russia against it, and despite, you know, the supposed cooperation between the U.S. and Russia, between Lavrov and Kerry, etc., we see that the Russians say we're going to protect our interests, this is our ally. They warned the United States against the tax and, and uh, other countries, obviously, and um, I, I think that this is... Uh, uh, the, the shifting of the sides that we saw this week when the rebels were suppo- and, uh, in control of Qusair and now with Hezbollah and backed by other troops coming there and uh, Syrian troops as well uh, taking back Qusair, which is a very critical location. We hear that the Hezbollah is readying attacks in, uh, in the Aleppo area. They admitted to having 3,000 troops in Qusair, 2,000 in Aleppo, and another 5,000 either on the way or there, depending upon which Hezbollah person uh, you believe. So when we talk about the foreign influence, and then you have Iranians, you also have 2,000 Iraqis who have come to the other side. You see the Sunni-Shiite divide, which I've said, as you know, all along underlines and underlies all of this and will be exacerbated. You see how much more uh, that, that is true. And the Free Syrian Army, it seems, um, uh, was in retreat. I think psychologically the loss of Qatar is, is important uh, as it was on a strategic basis because that's the link to get to the coastal areas, the area where they want to create this Alawite region, uh, and uh, very important for uh, tactically. Does Israel need or have a specific policy in dealing with refugees who may cross the border? Israel's border is closed. Uh, they do go to Jordan. They do go to, obviously, they go to Egypt, Lebanon, Syria. In Jordan, is the most the particularly sensitive case. Right. They had an explosion in Turkey, and where the, the refugees then came under fire, many fled back to Syria as a result. But uh, in, in Jordan, it's really undermining the uh, balance that exists there. It's a very tenuous balance as the uh, refugees now make up more than 10% of the population of Jordan. And as you know, the king is, is under fire as it is, so it's a very, very sensitive. Is it true that the United States and Israel never confirmed chemical weapon use against the rebels in Syria, and now European sources are confirming it? Well, the British and French have confirmed it uh, Confirmed it before. Uh, Israelis, some of them have said that, that the evidence is, I mean, they're not there on the ground, they're not taking samples, but the... Um, various international bodies and others say that it was used, but then if you remember, some said it was the rebels using it, and some say the government when most likely the government, uh, but it has not been, it's the, the, the use is limited. Everybody knows that if you go all out in using chemical weapons, you're just inviting international, more international intervention, and maybe of a much larger scale, even though fly zones in Russia 
is is saying that even if there's proof of the use of the uh, of these weapons of a chemical weapon, that's not an excuse for for them to intervene more to un- undermine Assad. Well, yeah, the only thing I'd say is that we've seen such limited international intervention and UN reaction that it may be worth the risk for them for them to to use it. Yeah. The question is how much utility that it really has, and when they're able to fight and they're getting more and more weapons it seems they're getting there seems to be no shortage uh, for them getting it from iran from syria Hezbollah, troops coming in and fighting so they don't seem to have much of a problem uh, uh getting the weapons and be able to sustain position so that use of chemical weapons is a very extreme measure and could be a local guy who makes a decision to try to use it but it's not it's very risky uh, and we see the escalation. You saw the Sheikh, Sheikh uh, Al-Qadawi, who issued a fatwa calling on people to come from all over the Arab world to come and fight in um, in, in Kursay and these other areas. So you, you see how internally this is becoming uh, um, a watershed and the, the spillover, maybe even the events in Turkey, maybe other things. Anything, anybody responding to that call? Are there subsidized flights, or how's that working? Yeah, they do respond. There are hundreds and hundreds and uh, thousands of foreign fighters who are fighting in this war, and people say it's, you know, they may outnumber the Syrians fighting in the war. Unbelievable. You try to unify the people, and uh, for some people it works, I guess. I mean, and the United States has withheld now the money. We, were, we, we allocated, I think, $250 million. We gave them... Uh, 60 million or so, but the next tranche of 54 million, they're holding up because they don't know who to give it to. <laughs> right. They don't know who they can give it to, and, and you know, I discussed this since the beginning of the fighting about right. that. Um, and we don't have to go over it, but the, when they don't know who you can trust with the money, because you don't know where it's going to end up and how they're going to use it, tells you what, what a mess this is. You know we're finally close to the Iranian election? One week away. Can you imagine? The, Finally, after all this talk, and in fact, I think we're talking less about it as we get closer to it. <laughs> because it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, it doesn't matter who's going to be elected because it's going to be a pawn of... Uh, yeah, I think we spoke a lot about it a lot early only because it was the end of Ahmadinejad in terms of his official political position. That's right, and why I kept saying people shouldn't focus on Ahmadinejad, focus on Khomeini, because he's going to be there after the election as he was before. He's the guy who calls the shots. He's the guy who will make determination on nuclear policy. He's clearly made the, the decisions to go with Jalili, I think, and uh, who is very extreme. Again, said this week that, that he will support all-out enrichment. Nobody can stop them. He uh, was the guy who negotiated with the IEA. is considered a little foolish, but he's, he's uh, an extremist. He's a total follower of, uh, uh, of Khamenei. So the election... Uh, doesn't excite people inside, except to the to the degree that they are. Uh, we will see if there will be demonstrations. The government of Iran has planned for months training people, these Basiji, the extremists, the militias, to go in there and to try to make sure that there isn't uh, any uh, reaction like you had last time with the what was called the green uh, the green revolution. I mean, they're facing a lot of problems. Uh, the, the, there was a death of a sheikh there, Ayatollah Tahiri, and he had quit as the leader of the Friday morning prayers in, uh, a number of years ago um, in, in, in objection to the government, some of the policies, and tens of thousands of people came there and yelled, death to the dictator. Mm. That, again, you don't see much uh, much covered. And they, they had problems this week at the Boucher reactor where it turns out that, remember in April when the, the earthquakes and we talked about the fact that the, a lot of the reactors are built uh, 
uh, in areas, earthquake areas, and a fault zone. And uh, it seems that Boucher was damaged uh, in that uh, d- during that time. So they're going into an election with a country that's very divided. We'll have to see how the minority groups who make up the majority of the population, the Baluchis, Azeris, all of these groups, uh, what they will do. But uh, And the timing won't work out for us to analyze it next week, but the week after we should be able to discuss it in full length, right? We'll be able to. I mean, I can discuss it now and tell you <laughs> and who voted and what the numbers were. But, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, but, uh, the really important story in this regard you know, that we talked about the fact that two of the candidates were amongst those that they were accused of being responsible for the AMIA and right. Israeli embassy attacks in the, the 1990s in Argentina. Right. The prosecutor, the state prosecutor, Nisman, came out with a blistering attack on on Iran, on the officials of Iran, uh, um, out of character because uh, Kushner was trying to work out a deal, you know, where they would have this international commission that would investigate he talked about Iran's involvement in, in many countries in South America and uh, the, the networks they've established. I mean, really pointing a very heavy finger at them. Your reaction to the appointment of Susan Rice as National Security Advisor? Well, it was expected. Uh, she had wanted it before. She also talked about her being Secretary of State, but as you know, she had to withdraw because of Benghazi and, and other things. This does not require Senate confirmation. We have worked with her uh, closely on uh, during her time at the uh, at the United Nations. She she was uh, she fought many of the um, efforts against Israel there. Oh, see. So she will be moving back to Washington. She's very close to the president and and, and was before. And um, uh, she is very smart. The president needs good advisors there. And we will see Tom Donilon, who was there, right, uh, was a very good man. You mentioned earlier the U.S., I mean, we were talking about it in a joking fashion earlier, uh, or a tangential fashion, about the United States surveillance and the whole uh, uh, privacy dispute that's going on, obviously focusing on the government and the uh, uh, the um, uh, intelligence and having access to so many phone records, etc. So, I mean, is any of this surprising you at this point? I mean, you know, we talk about the United States of America and our freedom and our independence, etc., independence meaning independence as uh, individuals, and and yet we see, you know, that the government is involved in this kind of stuff. Uh, what's your reaction? No, I, 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 I am not prepared for this. Uh, I find it very disturbing, the confluence of all of these things. I think everybody should find it disturbing, and I... I'm strong in, in supporter of the security uh, agencies being given a lot of leeway. Uh, I, I think that, um, but the, the the chance for abuse, the the way this is handled, the, the what the information is, I don't think we have the full story yet. I hope we will get the full story, but obviously you can't not but be troubled when you think about your Verizon. Every phone call you make is monitored or registered or. Uh, and then they say, well, that it's only foreign uh, individuals. And only length of the duration of the call and not all that stuff. Well, but, but, but it's the target of who you yeah. called, when you called, where you called from. Uh, this is... So all those... And, and I think it hits the president's core support. I think he will, when the New York Times comes out as critical as they have, um, as you notice, the president has backed off, and now Mr. Holder is... Uh, right. Look, I'm not kidding when I say this. There, there are a lot of folks out there that uh, you know refuse to use email and still don't don't want to have a cell phone and uh, and and will not get Easy Pass because they believe that the government or whoever 
has a much easier ability to track where they are and, and doing what it's not to doing anything illegal, but you know what I mean. Who wants to who wants to have their entire daily itinerary out there for everybody to know? So I don't understand, so I don't use Easy Pass because those lines are terrible. But uh, I know there are people who there are people who'd rather stay in the line than use Easy Pass yes, because of that reason. I know people who do not have it. Right, they don't want. Uh, I mean, the government knows where I am anyway, so. I'm still using Easy Pass. That we know. <laughs> uh, and finally, do you know much about the um, about the a man who's been chosen by the governor of New Jersey to replace Frank Lautenberg? Well, it's only an interim, and he's been attorney general. He's been around. Won't he have an important vote in the Senate, though? But only for a short period. Right. He's not running again. So I understood. Yeah, he announced he won't run, but he'll still. Be out soon. So. I don't. I do not know him, and I don't know. Much, I don't think he's had any record in international affairs. He's been an attorney general. As the attorney general, he's had other positions with uh, Mr. Christie and uh, Governor Christie, but even before. So, well, it's time to invite him to lunch at the conference, and I'd like to well, be there if you don't mind. For a short period, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let him. Well, then a short lunch. But then remember, for the rest of his life, he can say That's senator, right. <laughs> senator from <laughs> New Jersey. So, and and we had another uh, important development that was the appointment of Rami Hamdallah who's the new prime minister of the Palestinian Authority, replacing the West's favorite and the guy who was bringing transparency. And now you have a Fatah guy. Uh, he was a professor of linguistics. He uh, pre- was president of Al-Najah University in, uh, in Nablus. Uh, but he's one of them again. And so the likelihood that he will prosecute or do anything. And the PA this week, you know, putting up new demands that the prisoners be released, uh, those from pre-Oslo, uh, people with uh, massive blood on their hands in some cases, and that the, they want a map of all the border permanent borders for the Palestinian state before they talk. And here's Secretary Kerry there for the fourth time, fifth time in wow. four months. And uh, then there's talk about putting international forces again, which Israel opposes, because you look, you see what's happening to the troops in, in Sinai, uh, the monitoring force. You see what happened, what UNIFIL did in Lebanon, couldn't stop Hezbollah and tens of thousands of missile uh, 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 coming in, and they're saying let each side take care of of uh, their own security. But I think the the um, actions taken by the PA and the um, um, uh, their the offer of four billion dollars gets a response that will take the money, but we're not giving you any concessions. We're not going to uh, do anything. And yet, you see such limited reaction. Now, obviously, there are things that are overshadowing it, and and. Unfortunately, the issues about Iran are being overshadowed as well. And even this week, Egypt came to the forefront. It was not only because of the breakdown in Sinai that we have talked about for a long time, uh, but the the uh, rest of the, the the trial of the 59 people who were involved in quote pro democracy activities and the threats to, to Morsi's uh, presidency and the the internal uh, machinations, the demonstrations, which again get very little coverage, especially those in the canal area, and it's one of the major concerns. Israel allowed Egypt to bring in many more troops and uh, Apache helicopters and naval units because they're worried about the shipping in the Suez Canal, so there must have been threats against it. <laughs> uh, and Egypt, interestingly, the military announced that they all of this was coordinated with Israel. It's one thing that they you know, need Israel's permission, but to talk about it publicly that they had coordinated with uh, Israel on it, I thought was a uh, uh, an interesting sidelight. Wow. Uh, well, Kerry's there so often, I'm starting a rumor that he's buying an apartment in Jerusalem. And uh, that's number one. Number two, Malcolm, do you think we could have a peaceful Rosh Chodesh, both in Jerusalem and 
here in the New York area? Yes, look, uh, look, uh, uh, people, uh, God willing, will will celebrate Rosh Chodesh. Will look at the broader things as a focus. I, I think on a lot of these issues, there are no decisions made yet. And a lot of the things, as I saw, and I, I meet with the religious leaders, political leaders about it. And nobody's comfortable. Everybody understands the complexity of this of this uh, situation and decisions. But and and there are many. Um, I know a group that went to see the the ambassador and really made a strong case. And I think that there are responsible ways, including public expressions, that can be done Correct. if it's done the right way. And Correct. I think you have to think of the consequences of your actions. Where we are in and doing it in Israel is one thing. I think doing it abroad is another. Uh, and we have seen some pretty terrible manifestations against Israel, by the way, over the last couple of weeks, not coming from, emanating from our community, but from outside, which reminds us of the, of the sensitivity. And, and they talk now, by the way, when you see that Jordan, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Turkey are talking about a new, you know, moderate crescent, uh, but they call four plus one because they want to have some relationship with Israel that they right. aim to understand that you can't do this stuff without Israel today, that Israel faces so many serious uh, situations. And, um, you know, we, we have to take all of that into account in weighing how we do things, not our right to do it, not the, the legitimacy of the issues, but how you give expression so that you build support, not alienate. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach, Erev Rosh Chodesh, Candlelighting 806, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, Spiritual Leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Korach. Parshas Korach, according to the Chinuch, contains nine mitzvos. Parshas Korach is one of those parshos as well that does not get easier from year to year. Rashi himself asks the question at the opening of the parsha. In Pasuk Zion, Pasuk 7, says Rashi Vakorach Shepikeachoya Maro'o Lishtuze. Korach, who was such a smart man, how could such a smart man do something so foolish as to lead a rebellion against Moshe? Just to set the tone and a little bit of the geography of the parsha. The first half of the parsha deals with the revolt, the revolution that Korach uh, brings against his first cousin, Moshe, and Aaron, and after God either or creates a miracle or has in place, as we're told in Avos, from the six days of creation, Erev Shabbos, right before the completion of creation, God ordered into the world that the earth would swallow up Korach in such a way as if they were like a vacuum drawn into the ground, into the earth, swallowed up. But there was no aftershock. No pictures fell off any of the tents that were immediately close by. So this is the first half 
of the parsha, whereby the Torah is making it clear that God has chosen Aaron and his descendants to be the Kohanim, those who officiate in the temple in the Beis Hamikdash. The nine mitzvos found in the second half of the parsha deal with the laws of Kohanim and Levim, mitzvos that give status to these two groups, including the mitzvah of Pidyon Habin. Now, in answer to the question, how could Korach do this? So, I believe that the answer is lies in what Moshe says to them in verse 9, I says Moshe to Korach, let me ask you, meaning, is it not enough that you are whom you are? If only you would appreciate what you have. Moshe was saying to Korach, you are among the Levites, the Levim, who are no seha oron, who have the incredible privilege of carrying the Ark, which the Talmud explains means not that they literally carried the Ark, but the Ark carried them. And still, Korach personifies that individual that can never be happy with what he has because he's always looking as to what the next person has and thinking that if only I had what the next person has, ah, then and only then would I be happy. And you and I know too many people like Korach and we have to be very careful and ask ourselves maybe there isn't God forbid a little bit of Korach in each and every one of us and therefore we have to understand why this story this narrative is included in our Torah our constitution because our constitution is so inclusive. Not only do this and don't do that, but more important, it refines the character of man. And we are taught from a last week's parsha of the Miraglim, this week's parsha of Korach, and the parsha of Bilam coming up in two weeks. So, the Mishnah that we'll come back to, please God, in the fourth Perek of Avos, Rabbi Elazar HaKapar Omer, Kina, Tava, and Kavod, literally, jealousy, Tava, lust, and Kavod, glory, honor, Motsin Esa Adam Mina Olam, literally, cause a person to be removed from the world. Which world? And we will see literally this world. And so, we learn from the Miraglim, who unfortunately were looking for Kavod. And we learn from Korach, 
who had kina, jealousy, and we learn from Bilam, who had ta'ava, who had lust, how we are to keep away from these negative traits and perfect our character. I begin with a famous Gemara at the end of Sanhedrin, the bottom of 109b, spilling over to the top of Kuf Yud. The Gemara tells us the following, that Rav Tuat, Own Ben Peles, Own, one of the men who the Torah identifies, was on the inner cabinet of Korach, regarding Om Ben Peles, Ishto Hitzilato, his wife saved him. How so? Because she said to him, look here, if Korach wins, you're not going to be the head man. You're still going to be a disciple. If Moshe wins, you're still going to be a disciple. Don't get involved. Okay? And he said to her, I already swore. She said to him, don't worry. And what did she do? She gave him some strong wine to drink, caused him to be drunk, put him in his bed, and she sat at the entrance of their tent. And she let her hair down, literally. And so when the members of Korach's group came to summon Own, her husband, and they saw her sitting at the entrance of the tent with her hair uncovered, what did they do? Not wanting to approach her in this immodest display, they turned around and left. And meanwhile, as he was sleeping off, the strong wine, Korach's assembly was swallowed up by the earth. Thus, his wife saved him. The Gemara contrasts and said, Ouch! Whereas Own's wife saved him, Korach's wife incited her husband against Moshe. And she pointed out all the things that he had to be jealous about. The honor that Moshe took for himself. The honor that Moshe gave to his brother and his nephews. And so she incites him and the Gemara describes the Pasuk coming from the 14th chapter of Proverbs. Chachmos Noshim Bonsabesa She was wise among the women, builds her house, and this is the referring to the wife of On, and Iveles Biodeha Teresena, and the foolish one destroys it with her hands, that's the wife of Korah. I'd like to ask a very basic question, and really it's not my question, let's give credit to where credit is due. Rav Avigdor Nevinsol, Shlita, the Rav of the Iratika, the old city in Yerushalayim, what he does asks is as follows. If the rabbis are praising the wife of On, then why doesn't she really go and say to her husband, come on, how could you even entertain challenging Moshe? Look what Moshe did. He's been there 
and took us out of Mitzrayim as the intermediary with and through and for Hashem. And the Makos, and the Yamsuf, and Sinai. How could you even think of challenging Moshe when Moshe emes viso raso emes? And Rav Nevinsor gives a beautiful answer, which is so important and poignant. He says as follows, She was a very smart woman, and she realized that if she would talk to him about theology, he wasn't ready to accept that at this point. So she basically said to him about Olam Hazeh, if you want my dear husband more for this world, then stay with, she was saying, with Moshe, stay with the status quo, because by staying with Moshe and with Torah, you will have and get Olam Hazeh. This is such a basic and important principle, which he expounds upon in his essay on Parshas Korach, as well as Leiv Elio, Rav Elio Lapian, Seichet Sadik Levracha, in his volume on Bereshis in Parshas Vayetze, in his essay on his Aneig Al Hashem, he writes and says so powerfully, there are those that think that to be an observant Jew, one has to be prepared to make a big decision. I know I'll get the world to come, but no, no, I'll give up this world. And he says, nothing could be further than the truth. The truth is that when one lives a life of Torah and mitzvot, they are getting not only olam haba, but they're getting olam hazeh. They're getting this world. They're getting the best possibility of enjoyment from this world. And so we revisit the Mishnah of Kinotava Tava and Kavod. You and I know those people who are caught up in jealousy, lust, and looking for honor for themselves. And as we're told from the Mishnah at the end of the fifth parak, what's the difference between the disciples of Avraham and that of Bilam? So listen carefully. The Mishnah tells you that the disciples of Avraham, that which we all aspire to be, Ochlin Ba'olam Hazer. Literally, they enjoy the fruits of their good deeds in this world, as well as Nochalin Ha'olam Haba, as well as they're given a everlasting possession in the world to come. But listen carefully. But the disciples of the wicked Bilam, Yorshim Gehenam, literally they inherit Gehenom, which is H-E-L-L. Now one might think that this is referring to in the future, after 120 years, no, says the Me'iri in his commentary. No, says the Tosos Yom Tov in his commentary. They have Gehenom here in this world, meaning they can't appreciate what they have, and they don't have the enjoyment. Those foolish people that are not yet keeping a complete Shabbos. Look what they're missing. They're missing not only the relaxation for the goof, for the body, which is so important, but finally some relief for the neshama, for the soul. Not only for the soul to be able to get involved in spiritual matters that it doesn't have an opportunity to so do during the week, but the 
ability on Shabbos not to be beset by all of the challenges and vicissitudes of life that you have during the six days. It is psychologically healthy for the Jew. It is literally an opportunity to enjoy this world. And this is that very important concept. Nebach, Nebach, the Yetzer Horah that says to those couples that listen to him and say, come on, if you practice birth control and you have less children, so you'll have more time to enjoy this world and travel and more money for this world, etc. And what they are losing out, they're not only losing out that which the Talmud teaches us so powerfully in the Gemara Yavamos, the Ein Ben David Ba, that in terms of our peoplehood, an the Mashiach is not going to come until the appropriate number of souls have been released from Tachas Kisei HaKavod. But beyond that, and in much more deeper way, the parents are losing out on all that incredible Nachas and joy that they could have had by having more children. It's an amazing thing. The Sahara tries not only to take away the Olam Haba from the Jew, the world to come, but he even tries to take away the Olam Haza. And this week's Parsha of On Ben Peles and his wife, in her wisdom, teaches this very important lesson that we are to learn that by keeping a life of Torah and mitzvos, it's a win-win. Not only in the future, but thank God, right now. Shabbat Shalom to all. Friday morning, JM and the AM on the Zerav Shabbos Parshas Korach. Rosh Chodesh begins tonight, a two-day Rosh Chodesh Shabbos and Sunday, candle lighting at 8.06. On this era of Shabbos, many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. I want to wish a mazel tov to Miss Sarah Gordon, Director of Student Activities and Teacher of Talmud and Jewish Philosophy at Mayanot Yeshiva High School. 2013 Greenspoon Steinhardt Award for Excellence in Jewish Education is awarded to her. We say mazel tov to Mayanot and to uh, Ms. Gordon from all of us here at JM. In the AM. Uh, with us live via telephone, we get a chance to speak about some Israeli real estate because there is an Israeli real estate show coming this Sunday, June the 9th, to Woodmere, New York at Aish Kodesh between noon and 8 o'clock. And then Monday, the show goes from 5 until 11 p.m. up at the atrium on West Route 59, uh, West Route 59, rather, in Muncie, New York. They're talking about Ramat Givat Zeev and with us live via telephone is Hanoch Katz, who is uh, manager of Nofei Israel, as they uh, continue to spread the word about Israeli real estate throughout the entire world. Hanoch, welcome to JM in the AM. Welcome and good morning. And Oshi Stoller, and I believe it's the first time that our good friend Oshi Stoller has been on this radio show, who's an advisor on the Ramat Givat Zev project and knows it up close and personal. He's with us live via telephone as well. Oshi, welcome to JM in the AM. 
Good morning, Malcolm. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Great to speak to both of you. All right. We always get excited when it comes to Israeli real estate. Thank God. First of all, Hanoch, it's good to hear that there's still some property available in Jerusalem. You know, most people think that there's nothing left, but thank God there is still something for people to buy, right? Yes. I hope it's not the hope we continue, and this is not the last piece of land that we have. So so big in Jerusalem. No question about it. We hope it continues and that people are able to buy and hopefully at affordable prices. Ushi, what do you say to the people out there who are looking for property in Jerusalem but feel they've been outpriced over the last five, ten, even more years than that? Is there still hope? Uh, yeah, no, there is. And that's one of the reasons I uh, got involved with the project is because of prices in Jerusalem uh, were just becoming not affordable for right. smaller apartments, older buildings. And this Ramat Giva Zev project uh, gives Americans, Europeans, uh, an opportunity to be part of a new community being built in the outskirts of Jerusalem with beautiful homes, beautiful apartments, property, grass, trees in your backyard, you know, an opportunity that is not available in most, uh, in most other areas, certainly close to Jerusalem. So this is uh, the idea was to develop this type of a community which understands the needs of Americans making Aliyah to Israel, both as far as the uh, shuls, the schools, the yeshivas, and as far as the living standards that we're accustomed to. Yeah, in fact, they call it Ramat Givad Zev, American lifestyle in the Jerusalem Hills. Ashi, what stage is it at? Are any of these properties built already? Is it already complete? What, what, what should people know about the progress that's been made there? Uh, Hanoch could probably answer that question better, but it's, as far as I know, uh, I would say I think about 75% of the single-family homes have been sold. Uh, we're just starting to sell the apartments right now, and the construction has started. The government has started the construction of the main uh, road that's going to be connecting the existing uh, area of Givat Zev with Ramat Givat Zev and construction on the project, heavy construction, uh, is expected to start in the next few months. All right, let's turn to Hanoch. He's manager of uh, Nofei Israel. Hanoch, what is the, uh, what's the exact stage we're at now, and what will people be able to see? What type of, uh, of information will you be able to give them Sunday in Woodmere and Monday in Muncie about the project? First of all, all the plant is already all done, and people can see exactly which home is getting, uh, where's going to be the show. Uh, what's so special in this community, uh, what's never happened for American community, and this is the first time uh, exists, is that uh, from day one we started and we, and from the first apartment we built it for American community with all the needs, meaning we bring in American yeshivas with this now uh, Rabbi Brazil from Shari yeah. uh announced that he's moving his yeshiva to this community and he's going to be the uh, one of the weapons over there in the community. And schools, shops, everything, uh, to put in mind, if the American uh, family would move from the five towns from Montreal, from all those areas, and they come, to come to Israel, they shouldn't feel like they're coming to suffer 
<laughs> we want to make them the dream that they should be happy in Eretz and not the should, and they should feel comfortable. Yeah, God forbid, who would ever suffer in Israel? But obviously, what you're saying is that you want the some of the luxurious things that we're used to to be included there as well. What does it include? I'm, I'm curious what our what us Americans need over in Israel. What do we have to incorporate uh, from our lifestyle here into Israel? Are there are a couple of. Uh, Listen, it's more, it's, it's more to, to the mentality, the more to right. know the schools right. and the, and the chapter rabbis would not, would understand them. It's not so much the last, the lifestyle. That's also important, but that's the second part. But the more important, someone wants to come. He wants to know you have someone who's taken, taken, uh, take care of him and give him a job and, and he has his rabbi and his schools and the kids have his friends. Right. No. 100%. And, and slowly, slowly it becomes, Actually, Israeli, but not in one shot. Like, no, uh, 100%. I'm, I'm kidding around, but of course it helps with the transition like crazy. Um, all right, we're speaking to Hanoch Katz and Oshi Stoller. Ramat Givad Zev is presenting in the New York area this coming Sunday in Woodmere at Aish Kodesh on Woodmere Place in Woodmere, New York, starting at 12 noon until 8 p.m. On Monday, they'll be in Muncie from 5 p.m. until 11 o'clock at the atrium on West Route 59 up in Muncie, New York. Information about all of this, you can dial 718-475-5668, 718-475-5668. They're offering a 20 grand discount. I'm not kidding. They're literally offering a 20 grand discount for anybody who uh, goes to the event and um, and uh, buys real estate in Ramat Givadzev. So you can take advantage of that offer, which is good just Sunday and Monday at this show. And by the way, Ashi, again, a lot of people may not realize it, but if they're getting if they're getting an apartment... Or getting some type of single family home, an apartment I would say for, uh, you know, 350 or in that area, or a single family home in Yushalayim for around 700. If they're getting that, people have to realize that at this stage they're getting a pretty good price. Uh, yes, they are. And, uh, that's an excellent point because, uh, properties in areas uh, around Ramad Givadzev are going for significantly higher prices and, uh, not offering the same kind of, uh, value and amenities and even the amount of space that the, uh, the homes and apartments in Ramatki that Zev are offering. So it is it is a uh, exceptional value for the money at this point, and, um, and uh, that, that's, that's a great point, but you, that is definitely true. Do you hear all the regrets, starting with me, about not buying an apartment in Jerusalem in the 1980s? Do you hear all the regrets yeah. from our audience as they're listening to this conversation? <laughs> Yes, of course you yeah. do. <laughs> a lot of people, right. a lot of people cannot believe that Jerusalem has gotten to this point when it comes to real estate, but it's unbelievable. So many people obviously want to either live there or have yeah have property there. And it's a very it's a very short commute. There's there's already you know a public bus system is is working from Ramad Givadzev and from Givadzev Hadasha, new areas that are being developed, and and that's because of. You know, the government is encouraging the development of these areas because of the, uh, you know, the very high uh, pricing of real estate in Jerusalem. Hanoch, is this specifically being offered to Olim uh, or people who are Anglos in Israel, or you might find half this community be Israeli at some point? Uh, first of all, there isn't a B25, 30 percent Israelis also, because also it's good for the American community. It yep. should be... If they should be involved also with these days where you families in Israel. No question. Uh, but most of the community, 60, 70% is yes and a bit to people who want to move. And a lot of people, 
this is the this is the dream. We're giving them the dream. They should be make it more easier. They should leave uh, America to and to get a big, nice apartment or house. Uh, Jerusalem. As we know, there are people moving all over Israel, and uh, a lot of folks sometimes avoid Jerusalem only because of the uh, housing market there at the moment. But here, this might be a great opportunity for many. Uh, this coming Sunday, Nofei Yisrael and Ramat Givat Zev come here to the New York area to um, encourage everybody to come to the holy city of Jerusalem and invest there. Uh, Sunday in Woodmere at Aish Kodesh, uh, Woodmere Place in Woodmere, New York, from noon until 8 o'clock. On Monday, they'll be in Muncie. You can speak to Hanoch Katz and Oshie Staller at that point, starting at 5 p.m. Monday night at the Atrium, 401 West Route 59 in Muncie, New York. Information about all of this, about Ramat Givatzev and this most recent Israel Real Estate Show, it's 718-475-5668, Hanoch, Ashi, anything you want to add? Uh, no, just two, two points. Uh, yeah, I have something. Go ahead, Ashi. Hello? Yeah, I, I think uh, I just want to stress again, Hanoch mentioned that the Rabbi uh, Shlomo Brazil, uh, Shlomo Brazil is, is moving his yeshiva uh, to Ramat Givadzev. And that's, that's an example of the type of community that is going to be built there. Someone who's warm, who's welcoming, who, you know, wants the community to be part of his yeshiva, who's bringing young people, who's bringing Rabbeim, bringing Kolo people with him to a community. So I think that that's, you know, that's just an example of the type of warmth that you can expect from a community like this. The other point is, which you touched on, was that there are a lot of people who already made Aliyah, who are living in different parts of Israel, right. that are not that happy. It's not exactly what they had planned. And we have had a tremendous amount of interest from those type of people who already made Aliyah, are living in different parts of Israel, and look at this as an as a dream opportunity that they that they expected, and have shown a lot of interest in in um, you know purchasing property in Ramakivazev. Well, no question about it. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Shabbat shalom and good luck on Sunday and Monday. Thanks for joining us. Shabbat shalom. Thanks, Nachum. Have a great Shabbos, and we hope to see you in Ramakivazev. Bezrat Hashem, Chanoch Katz, and Ashi Staller. Their real estate show comes Sunday to Woodmere and Monday to Muncie. It's eight minutes before nine o'clock Friday morning. JM in the AM. Want to. Wish a very special Mazel Tov to the YTCTE, that's Taurus Chaim, Taurus Emmis, by the way, IT Director and Alumni Coordinator of Ram Eliezer Friedman and his wife Leah on the birth of the most tech-savvy baby boy in the world this past Monday morning. That's at least what listener Sina tells me, that he's the most tech-savvy baby boy. Special Mazel Tov to Big Sister Manucha that comes from Ira and Sina. And Sina says we'll talk over coffee one day. Um, thank you, Sina. And Boker Tov, and a um, and a very special, huge Mazel Tov to Tzipi and Shayadov Schreiber, Far Rockaway, celebrating anniversary number seven. Wishing you abundant good health, Simcha and Nachas from your adorable crew, Akiva Chaya, and AB till one twenty. Which much much love from Ima and Abba, and again we know them as Sina and Ira down in Florida. A reminder that our friends at TABC have their big scholarship fund breakfast coming up on Father's Day, a week from this Sunday at the Young Israel of Teaneck, 868 Perry Lane, with a 9.30 breakfast and a special presentation by their outstanding students and faculty at 10 a.m. Everyone encouraged to attend. We'll talk more about it this coming week. Information, contact our friends at the Torah Academy of Bergen County. Don't forget, Naomi Nachman has an amazing table for two coming up right after JM in the AM. Is that amazing or what? Right after JM in the AM, Naomi Nachman. 
uh, speaks about a whole bunch of delicious stuff on the uh, web stream between 9 and 10 o'clock Eastern Time. And if this mouse would work properly, boy, would I be able to tell you what it is. First of all, big thanks to Gourmet Glot and Cedarhurst for presenting. The guests include Mordechai Strick, a competitor in this week's Long Island Kosher Barbecue Competition, Yitzi Katz, developer of the Kosher GPS app, and Donnie Klein, founder of Yeah, That's Kosher. Naomi Nachman coming up next right after JM and the AM on jmandtheam.org. And don't forget... Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami. Don't forget Sunday, JM Sunday with Matis. And don't forget, that starts at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. And don't forget the, uh, ooh, wait, a little early for that. And don't forget the, um, big, and I mean big, 10 hours plus of our incredible Erev Shabbos music stream that everybody seems to be going nuts about. Everyone loves the Erev Shabbos music stream. You get to listen to it today between 10 a.m. and candlelighting on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Time to say good Shabbos with JM and the AM.
brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsor WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Round the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that will wrap up another amazing week here at JM in the AM. Naomi Nachman next in the stream with Table for Two, then an amazing day of Arab Shabbos music selections. Until candlelighting time, Avrami has Saturday night Siegel tomorrow night. Matis has JM Sunday between 7 and 9 Eastern time on Sunday morning live on our stream. We're back here on Monday morning. Have a great weekend. Wonderful Shabbos. Enjoy Rosh Chodesh, a two-day Rosh Chodesh beginning tonight. And uh, that is that. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.